I'm very glad you braved the dry roads. Oh, sorry. Um, to come here today. No, I know there's some roads that are still wet and that's, that's a little bit of a challenge, but I'm super glad you're here. Hey, before we pray and jump into our passage today, uh, next Sunday night at 6.30, does anybody know what's happening in this room? Somebody aware? It's our event formerly called Brunch, right? And so we're going to be in here at 6.30. It's going to be set up really nice, and the folks are going to do a really good job setting up, and it's going to be an awesome time, desserts, coffee, cool things, uh, because it's just simply, I know it doesn't look like it this morning, uh, but anyway, um, when we're full, we're full, and the most we've ever had in here on a brunch is like 175 people, and that's because we set up tables, it's really nice, but with, with the reintegration of campuses, just too many people. And so we're changing it up a little bit, trying to, to make that happen, so it's going to be fun, we're going to sing some songs, worship Jesus, and uh, and eat together. It's going to be fun. So next Sunday night, six thirty. Okay. If you heard that and you're awake, raise your right hand. Awesome. Very good. You guys heard that. That's fantastic. Thank you. Let's pray. Isaiah chapter forty, verse one through eleven. Let's pray and jump in. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to ask you specifically this morning, Lord, that uh, that you would lift off the top of us, your people. Um, Lift off of us a darkness. Uh, lift off of us a lid that, that may be subduing us from making much of you. Father, I pray this morning that you would create in the souls of your people a heart that celebrates, a heart of joy, a heart of peace, a heart of mission and unity and love. God, I pray you do that this morning. And anything that stands in the way, King Jesus, by Holy Spirit, I ask that you would absolutely, for the sake of your great name and our joy, tear it down. And that this morning you would do great things through your word for your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 11, as we jump into our passage today, I just want to give you a little reminder. These notes, by the way, are available on the blog, MitchJolly.com. Um... I want to remind you that as we come to an Old Testament passage, I don't know if you remember, but way back when, not too long ago, we preached through a series called 16 Verses in which we strove to give to you the framework for interpreting the whole Bible through the lens of the gospel. And I want to remind you as we jump into Isaiah 41 to 11 that that doesn't change as we preach through these passages. Jesus, now this is a monumental statement, so I want you to hear it because the implications are rich. Just just a, a note, and I've given this to you before, I just want to remind you it's on the blog, According to Plan by Graham Goldsworthy. You can get it on Amazon and be here in two days if you have Prime. Go get that book and read it. It's a fantastic little framework for reading the whole Bible through the lens of the gospel. Graham Goldsworthy, right? According to plan. But Jesus is the interpretive key to the whole Bible. Particularly this morning, Jesus is the interpretive key to the whole Old Testament. All facts in the universe, including the facts of the Bible, must be interpreted in light of God's revelation in Jesus Christ. Monumental statement. In Advent, we celebrate Jesus coming to reveal completely in Himself the Father. We celebrate the fact that when Jesus came, He showed us the Father, and He showed us salvation, and He came and He inaugurated His kingdom. 
He gave us this amazing hope that one day, through His kingdom and His salvation, all things would be set right. The Garden of Eden would be regained. Sin would be abolished. The curse done away with and all things made right. Jesus taught us this in the Gospels as He was recorded. And, and it just gave some examples here. And I'm not going to do a ton here because this in and of itself is a whole sermon. But Jesus Himself in His post-resurrection Encounter that Luke records for us in Luke 24, 44 to 47 tells us this. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. It's huge. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, which by the way. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you through salvation in Jesus Christ alone, He has opened your mind to understand the Scriptures. Then He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. That's our interpretive key for Isaiah 41 to 11, right there. Right there. Beautiful Acts 13, 32 to 33. All, listen to this. Now I recognize some of you guys are maybe, I don't know how theologically nerdy you are. Uh, but, but, but this is big. This is a big deal. And so, so I want to influence you here with this and how you read your Bible. All, listen to this. All Old Testament prophecy. All of it. All of it. All of it. You hear that? All of it. Not part of it. Not some of it. All of it is fulfilled in Jesus. You, you need to read Acts 2 carefully. When, when Peter's quoting from Joel about sun going dark and stars falling and crazy things happening in the sky, Peter says, fulfilled in Jesus. In other words, Jesus' work is so monumental that these metaphorical things spoken of in the Scriptures, in other words, Jesus has shaken all of created order. The kingdoms of the earth are shaken because the King has come. And He has done what He said He would do, and it's finished. And upon Him has come the end of the ages, like you are in the end. There is no end times out there, you're in them. He's completed everything. Listen to Acts 13, 32-33. And we bring you, and this is... Peter preaching. This is beautiful. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, what God promised to the fathers, this He has fulfilled to us their children by rising, by raising Jesus. That's huge. Jesus is the obedient Son of God. Jesus is the obedient Israel. Jesus is the one in whom all Old Testament is fulfilled. So when we come to our passage today, we don't have to do interpretive gymnastics to make something out of it. We don't have to read this passage and conclude it means something for political, national Israel and something for us that we've got to go pick and figure something out. Jesus is the obedient Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies. All the Old Testament points to the saving work of Christ. Our need to repent and believe and to make the good news available to all nations. Can I say this to you? This is important. Like, there are so many things I want to say to you today and I don't have time. Listen, I want you to hear this. This is big. Because anything that detracts from Jesus being 
being the fulfillment of all things, anything that says there must be something else to happen has fallen short of the gospel. There's no need to rebuild any temple in Jerusalem. You want to know why? Because you are the temple. And He has put His temple in all nations by His election of people from all nations. So when the gospel lands on elect ears, they awaken to life and they believe and the Holy Spirit takes up residence and Jesus is made known to the ends of the earth like He promised. So we don't look for a capital city to be declared by a United States president. You are that capital city. Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven is not a city, it's the people of God. And you are that people. Isn't that awesome? There's nothing left to be done. This is why the writer of Hebrews will tell us that Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, in these last days He has spoken when Jesus came and He fulfilled His promise to Abraham and to all the nations The end of days came upon humanity, which is why Jesus taught us the day is near. We're going to have an application of that in just a moment. So understand, as we read Isaiah 41 to 11, there's nothing we got to make up, no gymnastics we got to do. You are the people of God. You are the Israel of God, because those who are of the faith of Abraham are children of God, not simply those who are born out of his line. You got that? That that should generate this sense of, man, yeah, there's, there's hope here. Because I am the people of God and the promises of God are for me. Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Let me give you two tiny statements about background to set the stage. And I'm going to give you some points and then we're going to make some application. Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Isaiah 1 through 39 is emphasizing God's judgment on His people because of their failure to live up to the standard of the covenant. And Isaiah 40 through 66 then begins to sound a a tone of hope and comfort and redemption. And it's in that section of Isaiah that we read the passage on the suffering servant about Jesus who would come and die in our place for our sin and rise for our salvation. This is beautiful. Isaiah chapter 40 through 66 was written to encourage this remnant, these remaining faithful devoted followers of the Lord, that they would be delivered in spite of the Babylonian captivity after their 70 years of banishment. And what's interesting is Isaiah wrote, this is cool, (laughs) this is fun, this is where history nerddom pays off a little bit. Isaiah wrote this amazing prophecy over 150 years before these faithful would ever need it for their encouragement. Why? Why? Because God was writing to more than national and political Israel. He was writing to us. (laughs) He's writing to us. He's writing to His people. He was writing to those whose blood Jesus has purchased from all nations so that if we found ourselves or when we found ourselves under the gun, we would have great hope that as God's people there is great hope for us. And there is comfort to be had. So, what do we see? What does it mean? And how can we obey it this Christmas, this Advent season? Number one, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 to 2. Take comfort, because justice has been done and sin has been pardoned. Let's read Isaiah 41 to 2. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare or her hardship is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So we're told in this passage to take comfort. Why? Because justice has been done and sin has been pardoned. One of the great ways the Old Testament points us to the person and work of Jesus is through patterns. Patterns. Those ways that God does stuff. One of the great patterns that the Old Testament reveals for us about God's work of salvation is that there is a guilty party, there is sin, and then there is payment made for guilt through some offering or some work of God. And then people who believe and trust are pardoned and set free. He's all over the Old Testament. The biggest example is the Exodus, right? In which God's people are there and they're enslaved by these false gods in this nation that sets itself up as sovereign over God. Right? And we find is, is, is these people are there and they don't believe, they don't trust, they're not listening to the word of the Lord through Moses and they're fighting against this. But what does God do? God has them slaughter a lamb and He puts the blood over the doorpost. And what does God do? Those people who find themselves under that sacrifice are pardoned. And then they get to walk free through God's delivering work through the Red Sea into His care and His shepherding of them. We see this pattern. And these patterns point us to this amazing work. God will satisfy His wrath in bringing about justice on Israel and Judah for their failure in regard to God's law and their morality relating to the law. But those who He preserves by repentance and faith are pardoned and given new life in the land. What we see here in this passage is very clear that God and Jesus Christ will satisfy His wrath at sin and at sinners on Jesus and He will pardon His elect by grace through faith in Jesus. Because God's pattern is to pay for sin at the cost of an innocent victim. Jesus Himself is that one who will come and live a perfect and sinless life. And He will go to the cross, not at the hands of the Romans, through the implementation of the Romans, by the hand of God the Father, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine, so that by faith in Christ we can be pardoned and set free from sin and at the cost of something we ourselves did not pay. And so, God speaks to His people who are going to remain and be faithful. He says, comfort, 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 be comforted. Because why? I, I think it's important to note here that the people did nothing to receive this. Did you notice that in the passage? They didn't do anything. They, <laughs> they're, they're in Babylon. God says, because He is gracious and kind, comfort to them, speak tenderly, your hardship, your warfare is ended. Her iniquity pardoned. Why? Because they're good people? No, because God Himself will pay the price. This is, and I don't have time for this. I set myself a little timer. I'm going to finish on time. That's why Romans 3, 21 to 26 is key. That God in His grace passed over sins previously committed. So that at the proper time, He would execute all justice in the person of Christ on the cross for those sins. So He's just, He pays for sin, but He's justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. 
They did nothing to receive this. So therefore God says, be comforted. Be comforted. Secondly, I want you to note in Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5, that we're to take comfort because God Himself comes to reign. That is His kingdom. And He does it globally. And He comes to save His elect people who will repent. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 to 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Take comfort because God Himself comes to reign. And He does so globally and He does so to save His people who will repent. I think you probably recognize, if you've been around Christianity long enough, you recognize this passage is quoted by the New Testament in application of John the Baptist's ministry in preparing the way for Jesus to come because it was necessary that people repent. In Luke chapter 3 verse 1 to 6, John's message was repent. Repent. Why? Because the King is coming. In other words, get yourself ready. Be prepared because the King is coming. John's message, A, because God appointed John for this purpose, but B, also the language used here is that of a king who has conquered and he is coming to see his new sphere of rule. Thus this language, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, every valley lifted up and every mountain made low, uneven ground becomes level, and the rough places a plain. The king might come, he might send ahead of himself people to make sure that his delegation walked on proper roads to see his new kingdom. And here this passage is applied to the Lord himself who is coming to receive his kingdom. And the Lord is the one who is coming. And therefore, make preparation because the Lord is coming. So when John the Baptist comes preaching this passage, he is preaching about Jesus Himself being the Lord who has come. Jesus, the one who is the King, who has conquered and established His rule. So that when we look at this passage, we go immediately to Christ and we see Jesus is the conquering King. He is the one for whom roads must be prepared because He is coming to receive His global rule among all nations. In other words, the theme here, the important point here is there must be preparation made because the Lord is coming. And what we're told here in the passage Isaiah 41 to 11 is there's comfort in that for us. We are to take comfort because God Himself, Jesus Christ, is coming and has come. And He's coming to reign globally. What's beautiful here is we see that the reason there's comfort is because as the people of the Lord, we fall not under His wrath, but under His grace, under His mercy. Thus the theme in verse 1 is comfort, comfort, my people. And as my people, I'm not coming to conquer you, I'm coming to save you. I think it's important to note, however, that those who will not repent and believe do not find themselves in that favor. In fact, they find themselves in that wrath. Thus, there's this sub-idea of preparation. Build up the roads. Be ready, be ready, be ready. We also see here in verse 5 that the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed and all flesh shall see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
In other words, take comfort because this reign of God is not just going to be localized to one people. It's going to be made known among all nations. This is the theme. This is the thing that's set, set up in the book of Genesis. Is God's goal is the whole earth. He called Abraham to be a light and a message to the families of the earth. We see this theme there that Jesus is going to rule all nations. So take comfort because He has come. I think it's important to note here that it's God Himself, Jesus Christ, who comes in person. God Himself comes. He doesn't just send a delegation. God, the Lord Jesus, who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden in the cool of the day, He comes. God, the Lord Jesus, who Jude says led Israel out of Egypt, is coming. Has come and is coming again. God Himself, the Lord Jesus, who sits on the throne in Isaiah 6, is the one who has come and is coming. God, the Lord Jesus, who walks with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fiery furnace, He has come and He is coming again. So this personal God who comes to reign and rule and establish His kingdom and is to be prepared for is to give us great comfort. Third, from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 through 8. We're to take comfort because man can't save himself. But God's sure word stands fast that he will end hardship and pay for sin. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 6 8. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? Here's what he's to cry. All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Why does it fade? Because the Lord blows on it. This isn't some generic wind. This is the, the breath of God blowing on the grass. Do you think it's grass? Or do you think there's another, another thing here? It's metaphorical. We'll point out that to you in just a moment. When the Lord blows on it, what happens? It withers. The answer is the question in verse 7. Surely the people are grass. So what's the grass? People. And so when the Lord blows the wind of His holiness over it, can it stand? No. The grass withers and the flower fades. So in, in light of God's holiness, in light of His perfection, when He blows over the peoples, can they stand on their own merit? No. Because the grass withers and the flower fades. But what stands? The Word of our God will stand forever. Therefore, God's people are to take comfort because we can't save ourselves. The whole imagery here is that the people are grass. And when God blows over the peoples, they can't stand on their own merit because they have none. Remember, we walked through that in verse 1 and 2. This isn't something the people are doing. They are simply receiving the favor of God. And so, therefore, we're to take comfort because we can't save ourselves. But what stands fast is God's sure promise that He will pardon His people. Because what did He say in chapter 1, verse 2? Take comfort. Your hardship, your warfare has ended. Your iniquities pardoned. And I can imagine if you're in the middle of a Babylonian captivity and God said, be comforted, I'm going to rescue you, yet you are still an enslaved people, it might do your soul good to recognize, my rescue is coming. One day my rescue is coming. So therefore they are to take comfort. Because man can't save himself. He can't stand up under the light of God's perfection and holiness. One day the hardship will end. And he will pay for sin. 
Finally, the word gets to points of application. Take comfort, people of God, because God Himself is the good news. Take comfort, because God Himself is the good news. Isaiah 40, verse 9 to 11. This, this passage, by the way, Isaiah 40, 9 to 11 is kind of really preachable all by itself. Okay? It really, really is preachable all by itself. So I'm going to do my very best to not do 45 minutes on Isaiah 40, verse 9 to 11. I set my timer for this purpose. You ready? Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Does a city talk? Has anybody gone downtown and seen the mouth of Rome, Georgia? Can a city speak? No. We know better than that, right? Is, is there something, is there, is there an image here? Is there an image here? There, there's some personifying of a city. You guys understand personification? Because the city's not the city. The city's the people. The cities are the one who have, the city is the one who's been pardoned. The city is the people of God who's had their iniquity wiped away. The city, Zion, Jerusalem, is the people of God who He has come to rescue, who He has come to save. And He says to His people, get up on the high mountain. And what does He call them? He calls them a herald. This, this word literally is a preacher. Someone who proclaims. And he says, my people, my city, my Jerusalem. Not a geopolitical location, but my people. I want you to get up on a high place. Because you are a herald. You are a preacher of good news. Well, that, that makes us ask the question, then what's the good news? Well, he says, lift it up. That is, fear not. Lift up this good news. Don't fear, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah. So here's the good news. You ready? He tells them, you my people, I pardoned you. I'm coming to rescue you. You're mine. My word stands fast. Take comfort. I got you. But you're a preacher. So what I want you to do is get up to a place where you can have a voice. And I want you to say this good news. What is it? Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. That's the message. Take a look. Gaze upon your God. Your your God is not Babylon. Your God's not Assyria. Your God is not these fake deities that they bow down to. These entities. No. You need to take a look at your God. Look up. Get your eyes off of this mess. And look upon. Gaze upon the Lord. Well, then he goes on to tell us what he's like. Behold. Look. Look. The Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. In other words, there's no lack of strength in the Lord. Behold, His reward is with Him. And He's bringing recompense. In other words, He's going to reward His people, but He's also going to wipe away those who will not repent. Verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will be one who cares for you. He will gather His lambs in His arms. Jesus Said, I got other sheep I got to go get too. This, this is why, this is why Jesus used these agriculture, agricultural examples. 
because hey, yeah, that's what they were like. Yes, they they had agriculture, right? They farmed, they did animal husbandry. We don't do that so much, right? So it was definitely something they understood. But there was something Jesus was communicating in the fact that God Himself is a shepherd, and we are His sheep. That is, He cares for, He watches over, He protects, He disciplines to save and rescue us. So He will gather His lambs and He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those. That are with young. Take comfort. Because why? God Himself. And who is God? Jesus is the good news. God Himself is the good news. Jesus Christ is Himself the good news. Now, let me be very clear. That doesn't mean when you're talking to your friends about Jesus, you just say, Jesus! The whole point that God is the good news means there's something to communicate about God, which is why it gives us verse 10 and 11. Here's what He's like. He's like a shepherd who cares for His sheep. And He's strong and He's mighty. He's going to punish those who aren't His. But those who are His, He's going to gather them. He's going to find them. He's going to make sure He carries them and cares for them and loves them. Which takes us back to verse 1. Comfort my people. You're mine. I got you. So people of God are to take comfort this Advent season because Jesus Christ Himself is our good news. He is God. There is no other. He is the one who rescues from the curse of the fall by Himself taking my penalty and yours on Himself to die at the hands of His own righteousness and His own requirement so that all of those who would trust in Him could have all of His perfection given to them and He takes all of their sin and they become His lambs. They're adopted into the family of God so that we can take comfort that Jesus truly has us. Let me just give you a few passages here pointing to our identity and the reason we can take great comfort. 1 Peter 2, 1-6 So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For as it stands, or for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. You are the people of God. You are the Jerusalem. You are the faithful temple. And because of that, Jesus says to His people, Take comfort, I have you. I recognize it in our context Such passages don't fall with the same power and authority that they may fall on believers who find themselves in really difficult circumstances. Because for us, the idea that God's got me really doesn't do an awful lot of good unless you're really, really, really feeling the pressure. And the reality is for most of us, we have no clue what life pressure is. And so when we read passages like, oh, comfort, comfort, I'm kind of comfortable. And these passages fall kind of dead on us sometimes. 
And I think one of the great, this, I'm, I'm not into application yet, but I'm going to make an application here. I, I want to say to you, if, if the full force of God's comfort doesn't fall on you from passages like this, you may be too comfortable. Because the reality is when we engage in the work of the kingdom of God, it's difficult, it's hard. And there are moments when we just don't quite know how to handle ourselves and what we're supposed to do. And it's at those moments when these passages fall like a, like a balm, like a fresh rain in the middle of a drought. They come with power and effect. Church, understand in Christ you are the temple of God. Do you, do, you, do you get the you feel the full force of that? You are the dwelling place of God by His Spirit, which gives you tomorrow morning incredible significance where you are, which is why we teach engaging domains as the strategy for completing the Great Commission. Is this local and global reality that you are connected to the world through your employment matters? Because listen, when you walk into work tomorrow, you are the temple. And you carry with you the Holy Spirit. And the great task for you tomorrow will be, Lord, what do you want from me this next hour? Here's, here's my schedule. I've got it. I'm a good, I'm a faithful steward. I'm stewarding what you gave me. And I have appointments, Lord. They're there. But Lord, what do you want? And Lord, would you be pleased to cause me to relax and let you run my day? And rest when it's interrupted and trust that you're at work. Because you have made me your temple. And whether you send me to the nations or bring the nations to me, I want to be faithful today. So Jesus, would you rule this well today? And then let Him. I'll change how you go to work tomorrow. And then you can walk and say, comfort, I receive your comfort. Because you are the spiritual house. 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You're not your own. Listen, you don't belong to you. One of the great realities of stewardship is that we are managers, not owners. I can take you to both of my vehicles I, and, and, uh, I, and, and I can pull out from a file this little piece of paper. Right? It's called a title. And that title can prove to the world that I own Buford. That's my truck. Buford is mine. I own Buford. Nothing is owed on Buford. But you know that's a lie. That's not true. I don't own anything. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meaning Buford's not mine. I've been entrusted with Buford for a season. And so Buford must serve the end of the kingdom, not my end. So how I use Buford matters tomorrow. Does that make sense? Because Buford's not mine. Listen, Three Rivers Church, you own nothing. Ownership is a lie. Biblically, you're a manager. Meaning, your own body is not your own. You have been bought with a price. And the God who came personally and took up residence and those who repent and believe says you are mine and we're told here that should be a comfort to us that can you know what i'm that's right i am not my own I, i've lived long enough to realize there's a great comfort there for me 
Because I'm incapable. I'm grass. And when the holy move of God blows over me, I can cease to exist at any moment. I stand on God's promises. Corey Ten Boom said at one point in her ministry, she fully believed and I agreed that until her day comes, she's immortal. So I don't belong to me today. You don't belong to you. Jesus who has come and taken up residence has made us His temple gives us great comfort in submitting to Him and His rule. So how do we obey? Let's take four quick points. Number one, Three Rivers Church, here's a no-duh application. You ready? This is rocket science. You're going to be impressed. You ready? Take comfort. Take comfort because Jesus has taken care of your sin and mine. Rest from your effort to find pardon for your sin on your own. You can't do it. Because the reality is the grass and the flowers of the field fade when God's holiness blows across them because they can't stand under the holy weight of God's perfection. Therefore, we're dependent on God Himself to declare us pardoned. And how do we get that? We get that by trusting in Jesus alone. So Three Rivers Church, if there's anything in your effort today to get God to love you, much less like you, stop. Trust in Christ alone. Because in Christ, not only does He love you, He likes you. Likes you so much that He adopted you into His family and made you His own. So take comfort today. Jesus purchased that for us when He came He lived His sinless life, died and rose and ascended. Number two, don't take it for granted. And this is point application number two. Prepare. Make ready. Jesus has come, but the great hope of Advent is He is coming again. Prepare. Make ready. Just like we learned here that the King would have things built for Him to make the way, Jesus didn't leave us without clear instruction on this matter. As a matter of fact, much of Jesus' instruction to His disciples is about preparation because they don't know the day or the hour, right? This is just gave you a couple examples here. Matthew 24, 44. Jesus says, Therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is a coming at an hour you do not expect. Luke 12, 35-40. Listen to this. This is crazy. Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. That's kind of cool. If he comes in the second watch or the third watch and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming an hour you do not expect. Do not rest on your haunches. There's no room for saying, well, Jesus is delayed. There's still 3,000 unreached people groups, and so I'm going to relax today. No, no, no. No, no, no. Prepare and make ready. Work as though He could through 
any and all means make Jesus known to those people. And in the next hour and a half, the sky split and the eternal Son of God appear and wrap all things up. That's a fact. Which is why Jesus, Jesus taught us, live and be ready. Because here's... Listen, I'm going to blow your, our Baptist minds. You ready? This is one of the beautiful things that happens in the great work of the gospel that we get to be involved in around the world is we get to see and hear these amazing stories of Jesus making Himself known in dreams and visions. And then He sends global workers behind them to reap the fruit. Jesus is not waiting on you to get there. He's just not. We're always behind Jesus. Just know this. There is no church on the cutting edge of Jesus. We're always walking in His wake. He beat us there. So the reality is, let's just be honest, Jesus could have the end prepared tomorrow. And so Jesus taught us here, just like, make ready this highway, which is why John came preaching, be ready, repent, turn, be ready. You can't say that we have Abraham as our father because he can take rocks and make them his kids. So be ready. So three of his church, I say to you, don't rest. Don't hear. Do not hear. Jolly said I should never take Sabbath. So I'm always supposed to work and never rest. Do not hear that. If you heard that, you misheard. Don't stop following Jesus. Don't take a break on Jesus. Every moment of every day is key to your following Jesus. Even on your Sabbath, even when you are to be physically resting, those moments are key to listen to Jesus. Because in those moments, He can instruct you about tomorrow. I think one of the reasons we don't walk in power is we don't hear Him tell us what to do. And my Bible teaches me from Genesis to Revelation that the Spirit of God will speak to God's people on what they are to do and when they are to do it. And the reality is we may not even be hearing so as to walk in the power of God. So prepare. Be ready. Never take a break on Jesus. As a matter of fact, I would argue that it's in those moments when we are to be resting that we can perhaps hear Him the clearest. And find strength for our work. And we are to take comfort in that. Three, don't be confident in your own righteousness. Trust God's promise of salvation for all who believe. Very much akin to number one. But I wanted to separate it out because the passage did for us in verse six to eight. eight. It is very easy in trusting Jesus to then become confident in your efforts to trust Jesus. (laughs) It's kind of the nature of the human heart this side Of the eternal kingdom. Even in our most gospel centric moments. Where we're trusting Jesus the hardest. All of us can in a moment's notice. Turn that into a blank check. In which we believe God now owes me something. Because I resisted that. Or I did this. I trusted you Jesus in the middle of that. To be my salvation. So now I guess God's got to do good for me. That That's me. I can resist a temptation and five minutes later going, in my mind, God owes me something now. And then catch myself going, you don't even believe! You you totally threw the gospel in the trash, Jolly! What's wrong with you? And now I'm punishing myself! 
not trusting Jesus again. That's just me. That's, that's about every ten minutes with me. So even when I do good, I find that I want to start trusting my doing good. And then I... Ah! What's wrong with you? And I have to come back to know your iniquity is pardoned because of Him, not you. He did it, not me. And my job is simply to receive and say thank you. So be confident in the gospel and Christ's work, not your own righteousness. Any righteousness produced from a gospel-centered heart is God's work, not yours. So therefore, you can never hold yourself up as special or right or everybody else is wrong. Can't believe they did that to me. Or can't believe that happened to me. Everybody's dumb. There's no place for that. Because we all stand here as instruments and objects of mercy. Just receive it. Which is why the Psalms teach us thanksgiving is the proper response. All I can do is give thanks. Which is why worship as a response in song matters. It's not to be cast aside. It's not less than. It's not least important. I would argue it's central. Because a worshiping heart won't make much of Jesus in public. A worshiping heart will. A non-worshiping heart won't. I caught it. Thank you. I would have got an email about that one. Here's what you said. Sour people. Just kidding. It's not y'all. It's usually people who listen online. They like to hide in their mama's basement. And throw rocks. When they wear pajamas all day and they're 40 years old. (laughs) So don't be confident in your own righteousness. Trust Christ alone. Trust Christ alone. A worshiping heart that gives thanks will be a heart that gives Jesus props in the public square. Listen, Three Rivers Church, I want to say this to you. It's absolutely essential that we as a worshiping people not hide that under a basket. This is why we teach domains in public square engagement. Because when we hide the gospel inside our circles, we're disobeying the command to worship Jesus in public. And so therefore, we are a people who don't trust our righteousness. We trust God's promise of salvation. And in so doing, we live lives of worship. And then we come in here. And this is why I prayed... God, take a cap off of our worship this morning. Sometimes, just to be honest, I feel like we come to sing and there is a subduing of our joy. And I don't know if it's because we're such a cerebral people that we're emotionally disconnected, our hearts disconnected from our head, which could be. We're, we're kind of that way. I'm that way a little bit. And Jesus is retraining me. But sometimes I think it's just a spiritual cap. I think it's warfare. Listen, a people who've experienced grace must be a worshiping people. That's, that's a 3.1. It's not on your notes. Finally, let's draw it up right here. Three of us church, you're a gospel proclaimer. You're a gospel proclaimer. So therefore, proclaim the good news of Jesus, our great God who shepherds His people. Listen, there's no better time of the year 
to turn into a preacher of the gospel in Christmas. And listen, I want you to understand, when he says, O Jerusalem and O Zion, herald of good news, he's speaking to the people of God, you. He's speaking to prophets, he's not speaking to the apostles, he's not speaking to teachers, he's speaking to the whole church. You are a herald of the gospel. And so Three Rivers Church, we take comfort in this gospel. So therefore, it must be a message we make known in the public square. So I want you to, I want you to feel this. We formally deputize you in the name of Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit. You're the temple. You're the temple. He dwells in you. He's given you. And if you don't know the gospel message and need me to give you a 60 second version, I'll do it. But you should be able to articulate Jesus as the eternal Son of God, the shepherd of your soul, and how He died for sin and rose for salvation and rules the nations. Now, you should be able to articulate. You could even say that, and that's a great start. But we deputize you in the name of Jesus to go make that message known to people who need to hear. Because you are a herald of good news. And go tell them about the shepherding work of Jesus and His rescue of His flock and adoption and seeking of His sheep from all over the the nations. And you may even point out to that person you're speaking to, you might be one of them. Try it. Be bold. Be crazy with Jesus. And when you do that, you'll see the supernatural work of God. But I'm going to tell you something, Three Rivers, until you do that, you won't. We can't just keep claiming the supernatural work of God for my private consumption. Jesus, make more money for me so I can have more stuff. Jesus, supply for this so I can keep doing this. The supernatural work of the gospel comes as we push the boundaries of the kingdom of God. Push the frontiers. So I deputize you in the name of Jesus. Go make disciples. Go make disciples. There's no special sermon needed. There's no special service needed. No organization needs to be started. You have all you need to change the world. You're a herald of good news. So go do it. What a better time. Because people are asking God questions. I had this thought the other day. I'm out of time. Stop. Okay. Last thought. I was walking the dog late at night. And the Christmas tree was shining through. And you could see it was beautiful. And the thought hit me. How many people in the South have Christmas trees and have no clue why? It's just what we do. It's just the culture. It's implanted in the culture, isn't it? You might even know why we have Christmas trees. I can't tell you the story of Boniface now. But you might not even know. If we just do it, because it's there and it's green and we did it. Somehow points to Jesus. I don't know how, but it does. Hey, this is the great time to go read about Boniface. B-O-N-A-F-I-C-E. Google, just read. You'll figure something out. But it's a great time to tell people why you have a tree. And preach Jesus to them. And then watch Jesus save people. You are a herald of good news. So go do it this week. You want to do that? You'll change the world forever. Let's pray and then let's worship. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you will make us a people who take comfort in you. God, I pray that there would be comfort in this room today. And Lord, where there's sin, I ask you to root it out. I ask you to expose it by the work of the Holy Spirit. For he's counselor, helper, teacher, guide to truth. And I pray you would counsel us out of sin. But also ask that you would be the one who generates joy in our souls. That you take the cap off of our worship today. That's crazy stuff. I just want joy. Real joy.
I pray that you would lift anything that would keep us from joy. God, I pray that you would cause your people to take comfort today. Holy Spirit, make that happen. Please make that happen today. And I pray that as we come through the rest of this season, that you would work that in our souls. Give us ears to hear. And teach us how to hear. Spending some time with you and being quiet and listening and reading your word. And then give us hands and feet quick to respond in obedience. And do supernatural things in front of us. Build our faith. Grow our trust. And then put your worship in our mouths that we may proclaim to you your excellencies. So Lord, as we come to worship now, receive what we bring you. May it be from thankful hearts. May you be honored.